Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Now grab your favorite warm beverage this time of year, <laughs> coffee or tea, and uh, enjoy the Deep Waters podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about feasting and fasting as a response to what Jordan brought up in the sermon this past Sunday. So if you're not listening to it the day that it releases, you can check out Jordan Verner's sermon on the podcast app as well, or on YouTube from January 1st. Yes. Um, And in that sermon towards the end, he offers a challenge to the church to spend 21 days feasting rather than 21 days fasting like we did last year this time. Um, And we'll unpack more what that means as we go throughout this conversation. Uh, But we want to take this podcast space to unpack what is feasting? What is fasting? Uh, Why would we do one or the other? And what does the Bible have to say about these things? Those are all questions that I have. So I'm really glad I'm here for this. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Oh man, hopefully we have some answers amongst these questions. Yeah, or, you know, we'll just go with the flow. (laughs) Or we'll just celebrate our questions. Yeah, which I think we should always do when (laughs) we approach scripture. Yeah. Uh, We also want to say and just acknowledge that feasting and fasting can be a hard topic for some people. Um, I know for a fact there have been people in our community that have struggled with eating disorders, um, body image, and so if that is you like, no, there is grace to not necessarily maybe engage with this podcast this time. And that's okay. And if you are, um, struggling with that and looking for someone to talk to, please reach out to, um, to river house in any capacity. And we can put you in touch with our pastoral staff who would love to, um, walk alongside of you through Mm -hmm. that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I honestly am really excited for this this podcast, I think there's a lot to, um, glean and learn from even, even letting go of some of our pre preconceptions of what fasting is and what feasting is and, Mm. and look at the biblical version and the way of Jesus and what he did. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so in this sermon this past Sunday, one thing that Jordan brought up was a story where some people come up to Jesus and they say, uh, the disciples of John and the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples don't fast. What's up with that? And what Jordan said is that for a long time, we have prayed in our, in our church for Jesus to come mm-hmm. to be with us um, for revival even. And recently, our church has had a handful of prophetic words that have said, stop praying for Jesus to come because Jesus is here. He has already arrived. To pray for him to come is like acknowledging that he's not here when, in fact, he is. So that inspired Jordan to bring up this verse in Mark chapter 2. It's actually in three different places. Matthew and Luke also have an account of it, but I'm going to read the section from Mark, if that's cool. 
that's cool with me. Please go ahead. I'll just dive right into it and we'll, um, we'll see where the Lord takes us. (laughs) Okay. So a reading from Mark chapter two, this is the new American standard Bible in case you're wondering what translation I'm reading. And I start at verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they came and said to him, him being Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast. Can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins And the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be God. (laughs) Um, I'm curious, Chase, I just read that. I I don't know. Does anything jump out at you or do you have any initial questions? Um, I do. It's interesting that both John the Baptist and the Pharisees approach the disciples of Jesus. Like, hmm. I think this is, I'd have to assume one of the only times they're like in agreement on anything. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. the Pharisees were like after John the Baptist, I think for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And John the Baptist called the Pharisees. What did he call them? Vipers? Uh, a, bre- a brood of a brood of vipers, a brood of vipers. Not very kind words. No, not, not good way to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> If you're looking for tips to make friends, don't follow John the Baptist yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe don't wear sackcloth and eat locusts. <laughs> <laughs> Live in the wilderness. Never cut your hair. Yeah, it's hard to be have community when you're doing those things. Right. Um, anyway, <laughs> brood of vipers, the Pharisees. Uh, yeah, so that that was one thought that I had. And then I'd love to get into even like the, the patch in the new wineskin thing too, because I think a lot of... Huh even what has been said about river house about the church at large um things we've heard from not only pastor jordan but also julian adams when he came to visit i think kind of fit into that discussion as well yeah um of the lord is doing something new and ergo we're doing something new in january i think is almost like the most basic way of like reading into why we're feasting Mm -hmm. for these next 21 days um, but yeah, let's get, let's, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess did they, I don't know much about fasting in the Bible. Maybe let's start there. Like okay. what did fasting look like for the John, John the Baptist disciples and the Pharisees? Yeah, that's a great question. A perfect place to start. And I do want to get to the wineskin and the garments. So we'll, I we'll get to that. We'll that's get to excellent. It. Okay, cool. <clears throat> Um, I love the observation that John the Baptist and the Pharisees aren't typically in agreement. That's not, I I, honestly, I don't really know what to do with that other than to just say that's unusual Mm -hmm. or Um, that Jesus is really pushing some buttons maybe. Yeah. Like he's pushing buttons with the religious leaders and the rogues that are contrary to the religious leaders like John the Baptist. He's doing something so new. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that that's just a, a, an interesting thing to look at. And uh, I want to pull this out a little bit more in a minute, but if you look at the stories around this one in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, they're surrounded by Jesus pushing buttons of the religious leaders, especially. So like right before it, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees are like, hey, why in the world would you eat with those sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus is saying the Pharisee comes or not the Pharisee, the physician comes for the sick, not the healthy. Um, so he's he's pushing buttons on cultural norms of who you're allowed to dine with, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a fun thought going into then a conversation around fasting versus feasting. Um, and then right after this story that we just read in Mark and Luke, Jesus's disciples go and eat grain out of a field on the Sabbath, and then they get rebuked by some religious leaders. And then Jesus heals a dude's hand in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Um, so both of these things were things that they weren't technically allowed to do, but they did because Jesus said it was okay for them to do it and it pushed against cultural norms. So this story about fasting is also pushing against cultural norms. Mm-hmm. Maybe I put the cart in front of the horse with that, but let me just tell you a little bit about fasting. Yeah. That's okay. For sure. I, I don't know. Do you feel like people fast in culture today very much? Um, only for only intermittently, honestly. <laughs> Intermittent fasting. Yeah, as like the diet. I feel like, I mean, especially in the broader secular culture, that's, I feel like the only way that fasting is like used, you know? Totally. I feel like someone who isn't a spiritual person or a follower of Jesus isn't going to be like, for some reason, I feel like not eating so that maybe my prayers will be answered, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or like my quandaries to the universe will be acknowledged. I don't know what people (laughs) say that aren't following (laughs) Jesus. Um, that's probably what they'd say. And I and that I probably just exposed some preconceptions that I have about fasting that might not be even true, you know? Yeah, well, it's inter- interesting that you say that because I think you're right. In our day and age, the people who fast are either doing it for dietary reasons or spiritual reasons mm-hmm. um, because they are Christian or Muslim, Jewish. Um, all those worldviews involve fasting. In the ancient world... Fasting was way more common for kind of everybody. Um, or, yeah, like, I, I think Plato and Aristotle were quoted many times for reasons why they would fast, because they felt like it um, decreased the strength of their appetites um, after, uh, they wouldn't use the word sinful, but mm-hmm. after, like, vices. Yeah. And it increased the strength of their desire to understand truth. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's so cool. I did not know that. Yeah. So there's like something in the ancient secular world that recognizes fasting as a powerful tool. And um, Christians and Jews before Christianity totally practiced fasting regularly. In fact, we have reason to believe that Pharisees at large were fasting every Monday and Wednesday, twice a week. And not to mention the extra fasting that they would do on certain feast days, like the Day of Atonement. So fasting was something that they would have been very familiar with. And John the Baptist and his disciples were likely practicing the same thing that the Pharisees were practicing. Fasting at least twice a week. 
Isn't that wild? Wow, that is crazy. Do you also said they would fast on feast days, which just kind of blew my mind. What does that <laughs> even mean? Yeah, fast on feast days. You're right. That sounds kind of weird. There's like the certain cele- celebrations um, throughout the Jewish calendar. Some of them are feast days where you just throw big parties and eat a lot and you eat specific foods like Passover. Um, but the day of atonement is one day I use feast day in that sense to, to say like a holiday, but the day of atonement is a day when there's a lot of mourning over the sins of the people, Mm. over the sins of the nation. And along with mourning traditionally comes fasting, um, for whatever reason. And also biblically with that morning comes like tearing your clothing, putting ashes on your head, covering yourself with burlap, which are things that we just don't do in our Mm -hmm. culture. And I don't, think we're going to be doing those anytime soon, but wow. Interesting. Yeah. So that kind of puts you in the cultural moment. Do you know anybody who fasts twice a week, every no, week? I don't. Man, I, I hardly know anybody who fasts once a week, once a week or yeah. once a month. Mm-hmm. I don't think I even knew what fasting was until I was like a sophomore in high school. Yeah. It definitely was a, something I, I wasn't grown up in a Church. I mean, I guess I, I guess the church I grew up in talked about fasting every now and then, but hmm. definitely I feel like it didn't really come into the dialogue until I was in probably high school. Sure. I'd, I'd agree with that. So, um, so they come to Jesus, your disciples aren't fasting. What are they doing instead of fasting? If they're not fasting, they're <laughs> Eating, eating, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, eating food and together. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're like ignoring this spiritual discipline that, oh, I should say the fasting twice a week that the Pharisees were doing wasn't something that was written anywhere in the law of Moses. The old Testament doesn't tell them to do that. Um, not that it's the wrong thing to do necessarily, but the, there was a Pharisaical law that ancient rabbis put together to try and make um, more practical sense of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And some of those laws were about like cleansing yourself, how to wash your hands before you eat. And Jesus gets caught in like a little argument with the Pharisees while my tongue just got tied. Um, Jesus gets caught in an argument with the Pharisees about washing your hands before a meal because his followers aren't doing that at one point. And Another time, Jesus is getting caught doing things on the Sabbath that according to the Pharisaical law, they're not allowed to do. But Jesus says the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says the son of man, meaning himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Um, So he's pushing buttons on that Pharisaical law. Jesus is so cool. Isn't he cool? He's just so like punk rock back then. And I love it, you know? <laughs> he is. He's like they it's like the Pharisees have created all of these religious and legalistic boxes mm-hmm. to confine people um to all of these categories of what you can and cannot do. Yeah. And Jesus is just blowing those things up and saying it's not about the letter of the law, it's about the heart of things. Mm-hmm. And when you try and reduce living life to a whole order of what you can and cannot do. 
um, you take the wisdom out of it. You take the heart out of it. And instead you're just like a robot following a rule book. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way that we're supposed to live life. Jesus is acknowledging. So anyway, why this specific conversation? And it's because Jesus is among the people. They're not supposed to fast. Um, I don't know. Does that strike you in any kind of way? Like why would Jesus being there make them not need to fast anymore? Well, it's like, I feel like what he's kind of saying about the bride and the bridegroom is almost like, why would you do something that's reserved for funerals at your birthday party? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. There's like, why would we sit in mourning and sadness when the DJ just arrived kind of a thing. Wow. And so I'm, I'm like, I think that's really beautiful. And I think from hearing from pastor Jordan, that's a similar vein of like, we've, we've realized that um, the way that the Holy spirit is moving in the church and what's happening is like, Jesus is showing up. Like yeah. the presence of God is, is being felt in new ways and so let's take this moment, these 21 days that we have have set before us at prior times as like a time for refre- reflection or prayer or fasting or all these kinds of things. It's like, let's celebrate this moment that's mm-hmm. happening. And I don't think we do that in the church enough. Like, I don't think there's been a time where um, I've been a part of a church that a pastor has called for like 21 days of celebration. Wow. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I love that. I'm even thinking like, what a shame that that's not a more normal thing. Totally. Because celebration is, it's a gift. In fact, like in Richard Foster's classic book called The Celebration of Discipline, (laughs) there's a discipline in there called celebration. Wow. Which was just really meta. The celebration of the celebration discipline. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Like we're supposed to practice parties. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I... Some of the things that I might say will sound similar to some of the things that John Mark Homer has said in some mm-hmm. of his sermons about fasting and feasting. Yeah. I just want to say that, and I'll, I'll link his stuff below. I'm not going to directly quote anything because I'm not that prepared. Um, but one thing I learned from his sermon was somewhere in Deuteronomy, I think it talks about uh, how one of the laws was asking the people to set aside 10% of their, their grain or like their fields or whatever. If it's more than that, like turn it into silver and use that 10%. Everyone use this 10% that they've gleaned over the year to throw a big party. Wow. Do you, do you know where that's at? Um, Should we try to figure that out? Honestly, I don't know where that's at. Maybe we could come to it in a future podcast if we dig more into feasting. Cause there's, there's a handful of things like that in the Torah that we don't really know about. But I'm like, if we did that now, like we would have multi-million dollar parties, <laughs> which is like crazy. Could you, you know? imagine? I, obviously, I was talking about like the collective Riverhouse Church. That's not my 10%. I just want people to know that. Right. Um, <laughs> just to clarify, yeah. if I threw a party, we would be having top ramen right now. <laughs> um, I'd judge it up though with maybe an egg or something. Ooh. Um, <laughs> but I just think I we don't. I think we do sometimes view all the different commands and teachings 
from the Bible and the life of Jesus as something that's more heavy mm-hmm. um, and, I don't know, not as fun or happy or joyful. Yes. When it talks about in the scripture just like how uh, joyful Jesus was and how happy he was and full of gladness and mm-hmm. and we just forget about that side of things. And so I'm, I think it's cool that we are going to touch on feasting for the next little bit. I know for these next 21 days, we're all asked to do that. And for the listeners, I think we're going to try to do a few podcasts on this Mm -hmm. um, topic of fasting and feasting. So I'm not sure what that will fall, how that will fall. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I think there's a lot to talk about here because there's just a lot that, I don't know. I feel like I haven't been taught correctly when it comes to fasting and feasting. Um, and I'm reminded when you bring up that law about the great feasts of ancient Israel. Um, there's even a really small example of it in the beginning of Leviticus. There's a handful of sacrifices that are supposed to be made for different reasons. And my guess is that when you hear me say sacrifices made for different reasons, you think they're probably all for like sin offering. Yeah. Like I did something wrong Mm -hmm. or the community at large did something wrong and we're trying to, um, yeah, make an offering for that sin so that we can be cleansed and made holy and righteous, which there's that for sure. But there's other offerings like um, the peace offering is an offering that you bring as a celebration offering. And um, you're not supposed to burn up the meat in that one. Mm-hmm. You're just supposed to slaughter the animal and then cook it and then take the meat home and invite the poor into your house and eat that meat with the poor. That's wild. That's like a command. That's one of the sacrifices in the Bible is the peace offering. Yeah. So it's like, this is something that's ingrained in the commandments of the Old Testament in ways that we don't really talk about because we don't know super well. Um, Because frankly, we just don't spend enough time in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I don't. Sometimes when we think about our relationship with God, it feels like uh, the act of any religious structure is just deal with my sin so that I can be holy and go to heaven when I die. (laughs) You know, like boil it down to stuff like that. And even the Old Testament law of Moses is not that, like, not that only, Mm -hmm. because it also includes... These, these things like how to celebrate and how to invite the poor into your home. And it's in Nehemiah that we get that verse that's quoted so often, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not like some nice writing of Paul that we think of in the New Testament because Jesus has come and now we can like be joyful. Um, but Jerusalem had been destroyed And all of the people of God were like finally coming back to Jerusalem and they were heartbroken to see that the things of the temple hadn't been able to be um, done. And anyway, they're told by their priests to have joy because in their joy, they have strength. And um, anyway, I, I don't know exactly what my point is other than to say that God invites us to experience him 
and to thank him in all aspects of life. And we miss out on that joy aspect sometimes. For sure. And I think with this 21 day feast, as we're calling it, mm-hmm. it's a time of joy. And I don't know if there's a better way, maybe like praising, like writing songs of praise, but to celebrate, mm-hmm. um, like the Lord being with us and just in the most basic sense. And, um, so I, I'm like, I think that's, that's a big part of it is like, we're, we want to like cash in on this joy that we have. And so in these 21 days, we've been called, um, not only to feast on the scriptures, um, Jordan, pastor Jordan has said 10 chapters a day, if you can, but also, um, to communion every day around our tables at home um, one thing I learned in this, um, in researching for this podcast is like communion back in the time of the early church was not a little wafer and, um, a little thing of grape juice. It was a meal. It was just time together yeah. and the breaking of bread. It, they, they didn't have this like formal ceremony until a few years, maybe a few hundred years later when it gets to more like the. I don't know, the Germanic church is, I think what I was listening to. Oh, sure. Um, to where it was like this really solemn, like individualistic, isolated experience that we have now at church wow. where we all just stand in quiet lines and go dip our bread in the grape juice, which is a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. Right. It has its place. Totally. But I think what we have missed out and what I think Pastor Jordan has realized is this communion around a table. And if we're going to be a, a family a church that prioritizes family like we say we do, I think the the dining table is a beautiful wellspring of community and communion. Yeah. And I and we've only we've had the chance to do it a couple times at our house now. And it was a little weird at first. <laughs> um, we sat down and I brought out this little uh, tray that had a little bread and a little wine and we just prayed and it was... I don't know. It was just a much more connected to God dinner than we normally have. Wow. Um, even just for those few moments while we were praying. And like, that's just a good way to start. I'm excited to see what our dinner times look like, you know, in 18 days from now, yeah. um, when this fast is over. So I don't, I don't, I'm not, again, I'm not sure where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think there's, <laughs> Uh, well, one, you were saying something we hadn't said yet, which is what are the details of this 21 day fast feast, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And the details are, yeah, we want to feast on the word 10 chapters of the Bible a day if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, which sounds daunting. Does. It, like, and it, I mean, it took me a while this morning, even though I cheated on some short Psalms, <laughs> which were so good. I'm not going to count that as cheating. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's so good. But I, I had to reframe it in my mind. It's like, this is not a heavy burden. This is like as if someone gave me all the money in the world and said, go to the Wilder in downtown Boise 10 times this week. <laughs> it's like, of course, I'm going to take him up on that offer. Like that, that, that sounds amazing. I love that restaurant. My favorite restaurant, by the yeah. way. <laughs> it's so good. Side note, Benji and I went to the new what restaurant Wild Child to prepare for this because mm-hmm. we felt like we should feast to prepare for this podcast. Yep. 
<laughs> and we did. Um, I, I think we feasted really well. I'm not sure what that preparation is translating to now, but hopefully something's coming across. But, yeah. but he had a falafel burger. I had a burger burger, and it was just so good. <laughs> and one thing that it highlighted to me is, um, well, full disclosure, I hadn't eaten yet this morning because I was planning to fast today. And then... Jace, you asked me if I wanted to go to Wild Child, and then it slapped me in the face. Like, wait, why am I fasting today? I should be feasting today. Today's a day of celebration when we're in the mm. 21 day feast together as a community. Yeah. And um, there was something about coming from the place of fasting to the celebration of getting to eat food that made eating that falafel burger like eight times more enjoyable. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. I'm sorry that I did. Well, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah, you shouldn't. It was a, such a joyful thing. <laughs> it was really fun. And I think that I experienced something that I want to flush out a little bit. And I think our culture needs to flush out. And that is what does feasting mean in contrast to the discipline of fasting? Mm -hmm. And so I think in the coming series, we're going to spend more time on what fasting looks like. Uh, how, how we can fast today, why we fast, uh, what fasting does for us. Um, and it's true that like, even in this passage from Mark chapter two, Jesus says the bridegroom is with you now, but he, he says that he will leave you and that you will fast again, mm -hmm. which is like a foreshadowing of the crucifixion. And when his disciples will again mourn and fast because their bridegroom has left them. I was going to bring that up because mm -hmm. that was one of the questions that kind of stood out to me um, when you first read that passage. And I was wondering, is that the resurrection, like, is that the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and then they mm -hmm. mourn or is it him being ascended to heaven and then he's no longer with us in the physical, but we have the Holy Spirit. Like, it, like that was just kind of a confusing part when we're saying Jesus is with us. So let's feast, you know, right. When it says he's not going to be with us anymore. Yeah. I Does think, that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Um, honestly, I wonder the same question and I don't have a clean cut answer to it. I, th I think w when the, when biblical scholars read it, I'm pretty sure they think that Jesus is trying to speak more specifically about his crucifixion moment mm -hmm. and the mourning that would follow that. And just the devastation of like the King of Kings being put on a cross and killed. Oh yeah. And all and, their expectations and everything just oh out the window. Goodness. Yeah. The, like the gravity of that horrible couple of days before the resurrection would have been crushing. Mm -hmm. Um, which it was for Judas. Like that's, you know, it's why he killed himself and yeah. didn't wait long enough to see the resurrection. What, mm. what a heartbreak. Um, and I would say that after the resurrection, Jesus has come the kingdom of God has been established on the earth. Praise the Lord. Yeah. We are saved and made sanctified by his holy blood. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like God's dwelling place is inside of us. We are his temple. Yeah. That's insanely cool. And something about the world is still not right. Like we are not in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It's like the kingdom is here, but it's not completely here. Yeah. It's started to spread and expand its borders, but has not completely taken over the world. I don't know if that was the yeah. best analogy, but yeah, I think so. It, it, sometimes we call it the already not yet in mm -hmm. church lingo. Yeah. Um, and it's just a way that we try to speak about a paradox 
that it, the kingdom of God is here. And yet it's the world still hurts. You know, people are still dying. People are still getting cancer. Like there's still people who can't even get food on their table all around the world or clean water. Yeah. And yet other people who overeat like myself consistently <laughs> because I like to eat because we can't, it's comforting. Cause we can. Yeah. And it's comforting. Cause I get sad sometimes. I just want to <laughs> eat some ice cream. Right. <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. Tillamook mudslide anyone. Oh my gosh. Oh, so good. Yeah. Come on. Um, one thing, and I guess I used to add on to that. Yeah. That's why I think as followers of Christ now, we're not only called to fast, mm-hmm. but to feast. And like, that's if, mm-hmm. if Christ was here and the new heaven and new earth has been established I don't fasting would be no more. Yeah. Um, because that's like, a, that, that is an act of mourning. It's an act of standing in solidarity with the poor. It's an act of overcoming our, um, twisted desires and all these kinds of things. And that's not going to be there in the new earth. And so it's like going to be constant feast time. Yeah. Um, in the same vein, I think we haven't put enough f- emphasis on, the celebration that Jesus has risen from the grave and that his Holy yeah. spirit dwells inside of us. And Oh my gosh, like the creator of the universe is like with me wow. right now yeah. in my happiest moments and my saddest moments and, and all throughout my life. And like, there's not a place that I could go that he can't find me. Yeah. Like that is cause for celebration. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I haven't focused on that enough Wow. outside of like, maybe like a worship song with a lot of electric guitar in it, <laughs> sure. you know, but like to like, just like to sit with that and like even to sit down with a meal as we would for like, we just did for Christmas and new year's and Thanksgiving where we prepare a meal to celebrate mm. something, you know, like I haven't done that just to say, wow, thank you, Jesus for being with me. Wow. I like that. And maybe that's, maybe that's the posture of, maybe that should be my heart's posture and our heart's posture for communion too. Mm. I just thought of that right now. Well, that's beautiful. Of like, like not like, thank you. Like this is the, the body of Jesus broken for me and the, the blood poured out for me, but we're doing this in remembrance of him living and yeah. being alive and being with us. In celebration in of celebration all, that all that he's done. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel that. I think it's fun that in, in everything you just said, you even brought up holidays like Christmas and mm-hmm. Easter and Thanksgiving and New Year's because the, there are commands of the Lord throughout the old Testament, throughout the Torah to have holidays. Like holidays are a God ordained idea. Um, celebrating different truths like the Passover that God rescued the firstborn from death in Egypt and then ultimately rescued all of his people from slavery out of Egypt. Like not only did God do that, but then God commands Israel celebrate that every single year. So you don't forget it, like ingrain it into you with this wonderful meal um, and do that celebration in community. And Now we've been called by Jesus to celebrate in the same way in community, what his blood has done for us and what his resurrection means for us. 
Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I, I just think that um, instituting of a holiday, it's important to recognize that's not just a, a way to get off of work. It's mm-hmm. not like a fun bank holiday. Did so, the word holiday come from the word holy day? Oh, like maybe, maybe. I, that yeah, I wonder if you right. could Google that and find out them, really quick. We're just gonna call them all holy days now. Yeah, days of uh, days of rest and celebration. Hmm. One one practice that I don't do well or often enough is like a proper twenty four hour Sabbath. Oh, sure. And I'm like, that's. I feel like that's almost like a, a holiday every week. Yes. I mean, if you treat it right, when it's you just get to celebrate huh. all the Lord has given you and rest in this like moment of enough and not the striving of the world. And I don't know if again, John Mark Comer, if you haven't listened to some of his stuff on some of these practices, like his, his uh, teaching on the Sabbath is the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. You'll want to destroy your phone <laughs> and yeah, just you will. sit on the back porch and watch the sunset. Wow. And you'll be better for it. Uh, I would be, I know there's, um, there really is something to be said for the Sabbath, for Passover and these other holidays being things that God actually baked into our calendar. It's like spiritual discipline is something that is supposed to be a part of our life rhythm and routine. Um, that's a gift because that way we can't forget it if we're celebrating it and resting and remembering at least one day a week that we are not God and that it's okay. If I put my work down, everything will still be fine. I'm yes. allowed to rest. Like what a beautiful gift. And I think we've, we've forsaken that too much in the American church. I know I have personally. Um, and sometimes we write it off by looking at these passages where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath and he seems to redefine the way that the Pharisees are thinking about the Sabbath um, because he is redefining it, but he's not, canceling the idea of the Sabbath. Similarly, in this passage we've read today, he's not canceling the idea of fasting um, because fasting still has a lot to offer us in this already not yet mm-hmm. kingdom that we live in. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think it exposes some areas where our spiritual disciplines and our faith could use a little bit of growth. That's so good. Hmm. I love that. Do you want to go into kind of the new wine? Oh, yes. Thank talk. you for bringing I think that that'd up. That'd be really good. Totally. Also, I did Google it and it did come from Holy Day. Old wow. English Holy Great. Day turned into holiday. I love that. Holiday. <laughs> holiday. Yeah. So that's great. Praise God. Mm-hmm. So just, well, let's, let's just make all the holidays now holy days. Yeah, I'm I'm into that. I'm looking at, looking at you flag day. <laughs> I'm looking at you president's day. <laughs> Which is fun because a holy means set apart. It's like mm-hmm. a day that I have set apart from all the rest to do something. That's so good. Or to th- think about something that's unique that day. That's really good. Wow. Glad you googled it. Good thinking. It's kind of obvious, but it just has never occurred to yeah, me. Yeah, me neither. Funny. Um Yeah, so to the best that I understand it, th- when you put a new patch of clothing onto some old clothes <laughs> mm-hmm. and then wash it, that new patch will shrink. 
or at least it used to in whatever the laundry mechanism was 2000 years ago. <laughs> and when that new patch would shrink on clothing that had already been shrunken, shrunk, 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 sh- shrunked, <laughs> then it would tear the clothes with a bigger hole than was there that wow. required the patch. Um, and then with the wine skin, I guess uh, like it's made out of an animal hide these ancient wineskins mm-hmm. and they would stretch as wine would ferment inside of them. And if you had a wineskin that was getting old and had already stretched out a bit, it starts to lose its elasticity. And then if you put new wine in it, um, then that wine needs to ferment and then that'll start to expand in something that isn't elastic anymore. And then the bag will burst. So anyway, if you don't know how those metaphors work, that's kind of how the metaphors work. But um, why is Jesus saying these things? I think it's because what Jesus is saying is something new is happening. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to put this new thing into an old structure, into an old way of thinking. And that's not going to work. This old way of thinking needs to be renewed um, in order for us to handle what is new. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to do something new. The kingdom of God is something fresh mm-hmm. and it's going to require a fresh way of living. Yeah. I, if we mm-hmm. zoom out a little bit, mm-hmm. I want to touch on something that I don't think I realized until the last few years is I, I feel like I've been around a lot of Christians that say the world is getting worse. You know, oh, the United States is going to hell in a handbasket. Um <laughs> those are the people that I was around. Um, <laughs> and, but I've heard it before. I feel like I've said if it we before. read, yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, there's moments <laughs> where life is disheartening yeah. and I could totally get why you could view that. Yeah. But we know that we are working towards every tribe and every tongue knowing Christ and a new heaven and new earth coming down. Mm. And so it's like, I feel like, when Jesus instituted the kingdom of God, it's like, it's only getting better and bigger and more all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Is that true? I, I'm not going to answer with a resounding yes. Yeah. Because this is a debate in the church and I'm sorry. I feel like I just deflated your sales. Oh no, that's okay. But, um, Julian Adams preaches that way. Okay. So if you agree with Julian Adams, then the answer is a resounding yes. The world is only going to get better and better and better. He called himself a happy prophet. He did call himself a happy prophet (laughs) Um, until we end up in the kingdom of God, basically, Mm -hmm. because Jesus will come and renew all things. And um, there is another way of thinking that tends to be the futurist Mm -hmm. eschatological approach. Good um, night. Which we don't we don't need to go into that. That just means end time study something, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. God, I just say eschatological because it makes me sound fancy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's basically a way of thinking of the end times where everything is going to get substantially worse before hmm. Jesus comes back. And so there are naysayers. Well, that's not a right way to refer to it. But sure. there there are people who yeah. say, hey. Um, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and that's when Jesus is going to come and save us. Um, when it looks like it's at its absolute worst point falling apart. Hmm. So those are two opposite eschatologies, two opposite ways of thinking about the Mm -hmm. end of the world. And Christians have held one of either of those two. 
I think either way, uh, my sales aren't completely deflated. <laughs> um, I I Go think I, w- I was going for, you know, God is the same yesterday and today and forever, but he's always, I feel like revealing himself in unique ways to us individually. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a way that's like, I'm like you said, I'm doing something new. And like, even what we're seeing in, um, the American church, um, I mean, it's a revival. So it's, it's reviving something that was already there. I'm trying to dance around this well, but it's, it's something new. Like yeah. we're, I feel like we're experiencing something new. I don't know. Yes. That's all I'm trying to say is okay. I, I feel personally that I'm experiencing something new at river house. I see. And, and so therefore let's, let's kind of treat it in a new mm-hmm. way. Maybe I zoomed us out to the end times when that's not what you well, meant Well, I think I, I zoomed out too far. <laughs> I think I zoomed out further than I wanted to. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, to reel that in from where I took it, I, and I apologize. <laughs> uh, you're to- totally like God I'm, I'm is so sorry. multifaceted and fresh and everything about our interactions with him will know no end. You know, he's boundless. And I think an aspect of that is like, we'll never get tired of him because he's always doing something new, but it's not because he's changing. It's because Mm -hmm. he's so expansive that we could never search the depths of him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's, that was a good way to wrap that up. Does that help? Yeah. I think that's good. And also life is dynamic and we need different things at different times in human history. Mm Mm-hmm. And like throughout the history of the Bible, the typically you see a pattern where everyone is like, yay, we'll follow the covenants of God. We'll do mm-hmm. everything that you ask us, God, no problem. Like they say in Exodus 19. And then just a couple chapters later, they're worshiping a golden calf, even though that's breaking the first two commandments <laughs> that they've just been given. And, um, anyway, there's these cycles of people saying we're all aboard Lord. And then they start to forsake him and fall away and fall away more until there's just a handful or the remnant that like cries out to God for salvation and then they're saved and then they like promise themselves to God again and the cycle repeats itself. And I think all throughout those kinds of cycles of human history, we need different things from God and he's sensitive to that and he gives us exactly what we need when we need it. So I think that's, That's just the compassion of a present relational Lord. I'm just learning that I probably shouldn't go down with go with all my notes that I write down oh. maybe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I like, derailed this. I wrote zoom out and I think I zoomed out too far. Oh, there we have it. The other thing I wrote was new wine equals pushing buttons. Oh. Do you think new wine pushes people's buttons sometimes? Yeah, like, I totally do. And so I think that's, I'm sure, like you said, even uh, John the Baptist, who is like totally on the side of Jesus, like the the bell ringer of the kingdom of God. Yes. Um, got all upset. Or his disciples did. Yes. And so I'm like, Jesus is just doing a new thing. And I, you could even say John the Baptist did when he sends his disciples. John's in prison and he's like, hey, is the kingdom of God actually coming, Jesus? Because this does not look like what I thought it would look like. Like, when are things going to start happening? And Jesus says, tell John they are happening. The blind are seeing. 
the mm. sick are being healed the the lame are being healed like the kingdom of god is here it just doesn't look like john thought it was going to look and i think some version of that happens to us all throughout life um and i i also think that i'm, I'm reminded of i don't know if you're a bob dylan fan or if the listeners here are Bob Dylan fans, but you know the song, The Times They Are Changing. Time they are changing. <laughs> That's my Bob Dylan. That's it. Mm-hmm. I think that song is essentially about new wine culturally, not mm-hmm. really spiritually or religiously, but um, it's like, hey, the old generation had their new wine, but now because they're the old generation, that has become old wine. Mm-hmm. And you need to like, um, if you want to lend a hand, you need to get out a new hand or you won't understand for the times they are changing. Oh, or he says something yeah. like that, you know, like you need to rethink. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not willing to rethink, then you're going to be left behind. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan is calling that out in that song. Um, and I just love Bob Dylan. And anyway, I, I think in essence, that's saying what the new wine is doing. It is going to push buttons for people who felt like, oh, I understood the old wine really well. And now the old wine is something that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's like a structure that I can stand on because I've mastered it. And then when God takes that structure away and introduces a new one, all of a sudden you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what is my faith built on now? The Pharisees are thinking my, my faith is built on the Sabbath looking exactly this way and my cleansing rituals looking exactly that way. And that's how I know I'm righteous. And all of a sudden, if Jesus is pushing those buttons, then what can I know about my righteousness? And it, it creates some spiritual insecurity, you know, um, which I think is healthy for us because it reminds us that we need to trust not in ourselves, not in our understanding of anything, but purely in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is our ultimate trust, our, our rock that we stand on. So yeah, I think new wine pushes buttons and all throughout our faith, we will feel our buttons being pushed and sometimes it's God and sometimes it's not God. And we'll just have mm-hmm. to pray and discern what, what is wine from him. Yeah. I think kind of on the topic of pushing buttons, something that we had Benji and I talked about earlier, um, was sometimes like a 21 day feast almost doesn't seem, seem like anything's going to change much in my life. Cause I'm, I already eat every day, three meals a day, three square meals a day. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's adding some communion and Bible reading, but I want to encourage you guys to let your butt buttons be pushed and let yourself be stretched in the same way that like a fast would almost stretch you, but in not in the way of discomfort, but in the way of how do I acknowledge the presence of Christ in my life? Wow. And how do I, how do I, um, uh, acknowledge that like he is with me right now in a new way. Like how, like just like let that be your practice for the next 21 days um, to figure out new ways to celebrate the presence of Christ in your life. Mm. Um, so I think we'll kind of wrap it up there. Um, I, I hope, I hope this has made some sense to everyone. Uh, we're going to flush some of these topics out at greater detail um, in the next coming weeks, but I don't want this to be a 21 day, um, 21 days where nothing changes. Yeah. I want it to be a 21 day feast. And I think that's our, our prayer as a church is like, make something change. If, if you don't cook meals at home, cook meals at home. If you don't actively invite people around your dining table, 
invite people around your dining table. Mm. Um, if you haven't been able to get into the scriptures as much as you, you've been able to, and you don't feel like you can get 10 chapters, get two chapters in. Like just make the, the changes so that there's an active engagement in over these 21 days. And it's not 21 days of the status quo. Cause I don't think that's, mm. that's not the heart at all. Um, just cause we're not fasting doesn't mean we're not doing anything. We are, we wow. are choosing to actively celebrate, um, Christ and, and what he's doing in our lives. Wow. Even as you were talking, I had this image of someone like a way to celebrate this feast with Jesus being in our midst is to turn up worship music really loudly and dance in their living room. Yes. <laughs> like, no, totally. Like that. Maybe if that's out of the normal for you, well, first of all, if that's in the normal for you, very cool. Yeah. Good on you. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> but if it, if that's out of the normal for you, maybe try something like that. Like what does celebration that Jesus is now in our midst look like for you? Yeah. I mean, like look at the way, look how hard the world parties for certain things. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's like New Year's Eve or I don't know. St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> July 4th. Woo! Like the amount of money that people spend on fireworks in Idaho is ridiculous <laughs> and loud at one in the morning. But um, that's neither here nor there. But like, I'm not saying to party like the world, but party with the same amount of intention and preparation that as we would for any other mm, thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I believe we serve the most joyful God who is full of love. And if we um, take our mind to take time to align our hearts and minds and spirits um, with he who is the most joyful, I think we're going to have a pretty good party. Wow. Um, and yes. like cook good food, not to be gluttonous, but to enjoy all that is creation and all that we have been um, commissioned to steward um, yeah. here on earth, you know? Yeah. So like go buy some, like don't go to Whole Foods. Well, you could, but if you have money, but go buy whole foods, you know, like vegetables, fruits, things that can like probably exist in, in the garden of Eden, you know, and eat those and just enjoy like the natural, incredible flavors of this earth. I'm getting wow. on a tangent here, but yeah, it's fun. if you haven't roasted just veggies with olive oil and salt and pepper, so simple, but it completely changes the profile and makes every vegetable way better. All right, buckle up. We're now transitioning into a cooking podcast. Yes. So preheat the oven to just kidding. No, um, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm just thinking, um, you can ask yourself along these lines, what, what, would a kingdom party look like? Like, I think we can imagine kingdom what party it's fun to see, yes. say even, isn't it? Oh, like yeah. We can imagine what a worldly party looks like. I'm picturing red solo cups, maybe cornhole. Yeah. Yeti coolers full of something. Mm -hmm. Dr. Pepper, maybe. I don't know what you <laughs> partake of, but, um, but like, what does a kingdom party look like? My hunch is Jesus in the story right before what we read in Mark two is a hint. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Or the peace offering that I brought up out of Leviticus, they're inviting the poor in to partake of their sacrifice with them. Like there's, there's a level of compassion and inclusivity that the kingdom of God parties are aware of that a worldly party isn't. So maybe ask yourself those questions too. How can you invite other people into your feasting celebration? That's so good. We'll unpack that further in a mm -hmm. future podcast. But uh, let that just whet your appetite for the time being. And we hope that, um, yeah, we hope that these 21 days are really joyful for you and that you see 
the spirit of Jesus come in your midst in ways that maybe you haven't before or that you didn't anticipate would come in your workplace, in your home. Um, yeah. In your house church in every corner of your life. Amen. That's a good prayer right there. Amen. Yeah. So thanks for joining us on the deep waters podcast. We do this podcast so that we can talk about what's going on at our church and wrestle through the fresh moves of the spirit. And right now that looks like feasting. So yeah, I hope this conversation has been edifying for you. We pray that you celebrate well. And if you have any follow-up thoughts or questions, or you want to engage with us in any way, you can email someone at our church. You can find our email addresses on the website. Deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. Oh yeah. a great place to send comments to. Email that deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. And if you'd like to join us at our Sunday worship services, we currently meet at 4 p.m. at the Vineyard in Boise. And we have a kingdom party every week. So come (laughs) join the party. Woo! (laughs) Party! All right. Be blessed, everyone. We'll see you next week.